everybody. I'm Brooke, and um, it's really a joy to be up here. Um, I'm going to remember to include you guys over all the way over here. I will turn. Um, but I have a little secret that I wanted to share with all of you. Everybody at the beach already knows it because when I show up to the beach to preach, if it's ever cold outside, I look like I'm about to rob a bank. I wear a hoodie and gloves and long pants and boots and sometimes a ski mask and just my eyes are showing. No, I'm kidding, but it's pretty extreme. I have an allergy to extreme temperature, believe it or not. It's called cold urticaria. You can go look it up if you are curious. I hope that that is not what you leave this message with today, but there's a reason I'm sharing that with you today. Um, I have this weird allergy called cold urticaria, allergic to extreme temperatures, and what happens is I get hives on my skin, and then if it gets bad enough, I go into anaphylactic shock. So it's pretty serious, and um, you know, back in high school when I first got this autoimmune disease, we were kind of still figuring out what it was, and my dad and I went surfing, and I was wearing a wetsuit, so I thought I was safe. And wetsuit still allows your skin to get wet, it just keeps your body temperature warm. And I didn't know this, um, that I, I was allergic to like the skin exposure of cold water. So I ended up going to, into anaphylactic shock. My dad saved my life. Another time I was at Hume Lake. Who's been to Hume Lake? Anybody out there? All right, I see you guys. And we had hiked around the water and we, had, we were going out for a swim. We found this cool little cove, this awesome spot. James and Bray were leading the charge. They were high school pastors back then. And um, we found this spot. I went swimming, did not realize the water temperature was way colder than I can handle. There's like actually a degree threshold. And I went in the water, went into anaphylactic shock. Michael Ayub, you guys probably know the Ayub, saved my life. He carried me up the hill, hitchhiked with a random person who was driving down that public highway. They got me to the nurse. The nurse administered my EpiPen. Here I am today. And so it's an amazing story. Um, but that's not even the scariest one. I do have a reason for sharing this with you. I want to share my scariest experience, life or death. I was in Idaho with our family, and we were doing this hike that we love up to the wind caves. And the wind caves are this amazing, huge, big cave that you enter into, and then there's this tiny little crawl space hole where wind is just rushing through, and it's actually a cutout through the mountain. So you, you can get on your hands and knees, crawl through this hole, and emerge on the other side. The wind is too cold, obviously, so I have never been able to crawl through, but I'm telling you that, that you can do it. And we're on our way up to this mountain. We pack a lunch. It's a whole day event. We're, we're on our way up, and we see these storm clouds, these big, ominous, gray clouds coming our way. We did not prepare for rain. We did not prepare for weather. We always pack like one of those plastic little ponchos. Do you know what I'm talking about? That you put over your clothes? That's not going to protect you from pouring rain in a rainstorm. So I had to make a decision. What am I going to do in this situation? Am I going to try to find shelter, a tree that's big enough that keeps me dry? Rain is like my worst enemy because if wet clothes are on my skin, then my skin gets the hives. And so it's rain is just a nightmare. In high school, when I was figuring out what it was, I used to walk around barefoot because it was better for my feet to be in the rain. It was better for my feet to be cold, but then dry off faster than it was to be like staying wet. Does this make sense? Okay, so I decided I gotta get out of there. I, got, I can't stay, I don't know what's gonna happen. Who knows how long the storm's gonna last. I gotta go, I gotta get down the mountain. 
So I, we kind of all decide in this moment. Do you remember this? Yeah, of course. And we all decide in this moment, I'm, we're going to go. I got to go. And I just take off. I didn't even check to see if anybody, I was like, give me the car keys. I, I'm thinking one thing in my mind, beat the anaphylactic shock. The t- I, I didn't know how much time I had. before. I knew I was starting to get hives. It's cold. The water, I'm wet. And so I just started running. And this is miles down the hill, down this mountain. It's not a hill. Like, do you know what the Teton Mountains look like? This is like, I mean, in a, sometimes we think like, oh, at least you're not running up the hill. That might have been easier. It's muddy. And I'm running down this hill, trying to beat the temperature. And George is somewhere behind me. We weren't married at this point. And um, I'm heart is pounding, adrenaline rushing. I have one thought in my mind, just don't fall over. I got to keep going. I have to make it to the car. And obviously I made it to the car because I'm still standing here today. Thank you very much. Um, the Lord saved my life. Thanks, Justin. Um, and it was a total miracle, but I share this story because it's one of those times where when you are in that, that moment, and sometimes it's caused by fear or like your life is in danger. I don't know if you felt this, but you feel fully alive. In this situation, I was like, it, like nothing else mattered. I'm not thinking about if my mom is upset about that thing I said yesterday or what we're having for dinner later. It's like, I have one goal, one purpose. My eyes are fixed, razor sharp, clarity and focus. I gotta get down the mountain and get in the car and turn on the heat or else it's game over for me. And it was serious, there was a girl actually who had died from anaphylactic shock on this trail a few years earlier. And I knew in my head that the help was not able to get to her in time. So I knew it was serious. So I just want to, I want to invite you to go back to that memory, that experience for yourself of when did you feel fully alive? Like you've got so much clarity, so much focus, you know what you need to do. That's the kind of life that feeling of aliveness is what God calls us into and what we're going to talk about this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So open your Bible. I'm going to give you a quick refresher in case you've been asleep the last couple weeks or you missed or whatever. Um, We're in the middle of 1 Corinthians. Corinth is this this major city that people are traveling, traveling to and from. They're going in and out of. Paul has established a church here and the church is a few years old. So now they're saying, okay, Paul, we, we believe what you're saying. We believe what you told us. We've received the gospel. But how do we live out the gospel in the context of our real life in the city of Corinth? Does that make sense? So they're asking questions. Well, what about marriage? And what about uh, the, the collection of the offering for the saints? And what about how we love our neighbor? And what about meat and eating the meat sacrificed to, to idols? Do you guys remember that message? My dad preached on it, I think, a couple months ago. Um, yeah? Anybody remember that one? Yeah, so he says, he says what? They say, okay, we get, we get this whole thing. There's one true God. Idols are not real gods. So then does that mean... I mean, I love that they're asking the practical questions. How do we live out our faith? So... Then if the meat is sacrificed to a false idol, does it matter if we eat it or is it unclean? It's a valid question, right? So they're asking Paul these types of things. And obviously Paul in, you know, I mean, 1 Corinthians is shorter than a lot of the other books in the Bible, but it's still lengthy. Obviously he doesn't give a yes or no answer. He says, okay, well, does it cause your brother to sin? Is it going to encourage him in his faith? That's his answer. That's not what we're talking about today, but I, 
I remind you of this because these are the kinds of things that Paul is addressing as we get to, as we work through 1 Corinthians and we get to the end of the book, chapter 15 out of 16 chapters, and they want to know about the resurrection. And I'm so glad they asked because it's really confusing and it's complicated. And that's what we're going to look at today. Paul breaks it down nice and simply. Uh, Verse one, let's look at it together. This is what he says. Now, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I prepared to you, I preached to you, in which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved. Is, are you guys still with me, or did anyone start zoning out? You can be honest <laughs> when I started reading. Sometimes I do that. What do we just read? <laughs> I make known to you the gospel, which I preached to you. You received it, you stand in it, and you are saved by it, by the gospel. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And that is this. What is of first importance? This. Verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are alive, some are dead. And then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul. What is the gospel? What does Paul lay out right here? What are the points? What does he want us to know when we use this word gospel? What do we mean? There are some really key critical points, foundational, hope they sound familiar to you, and they are these. That Christ died for our sin. In the last service, Jasmine just so happened to read Romans 6 right before we started. And I love that. I, I don't know if I have time to read it today, but I'd love to challenge you and encourage you. Go back to Romans 6 and read the chapter um, because it's a, it's a great example. We're going to talk a little bit more about sin and how we're no longer under sin later. But the first point is this. Christ died for our sin, right? The second point is this. He was buried and raised. Why is the buried part important? Because it means he was really dead. If he, if he wasn't buried, then is the resurrection really significant, right? Are you tracking with me? He had to be dead in order for the resurrection to be significant. So he died for sin. He was buried and raised. And then I love that Paul says, also he appeared to a whole bunch of people and they're still alive, so go ask them. Paul probably wrote this like 23 years after the resurrection. That's kind of what they estimate. And so I love that he is inviting people to go check him on this. See if this is real, what I'm telling you. These people are still around. This is what happened. I am just sharing the truth with you. And the fifth point, the last point that is most compelling for me is that it's uh, a little phrase that it says here twice actually in the verses I just read and that is this that it all happened according to the scripture isn't that exciting that God for thousands of years prepared us for this event he said exactly what was going to happen and then Jesus came and said exactly what was going to happen and then it happened and that's pretty amazing I think if somebody died and raised from the dead that is miraculous but if somebody said that they were going to die and be raised from the dead. That's even more miraculous, that he predicted this is it. And um, 
I'm in a Bible study right now, and we're studying through uh, the whole Bible. We're reading all of it. Believe it or not, it sounds crazy. We are in Hosea right now. That's a lot of books of the Bible that we've made it through. And uh, a few weeks ago, we were in Isaiah, and Isaiah is just packed with prophecy about who Jesus is. What? Or, I'm sorry, it's not. It's about who the Messiah is, who he will be, uh, what he will look like, what he will do. And somebody in the group, I, I love this space that we've created in this Bible study, kind of to poke holes and ask, is this really real? Like, the thing that I was taught in Bible stu- in uh, Sunday school, or that I've heard, or that I thought was true my whole life, is that really what it says? Or how does it fit together? Because we want to understand and have faith that's based on what we've studied and learned for ourselves, not just what, what somebody told us. A lot of us know what's in the Bible, but we haven't actually read it. And so we're reading it, and we read these prophecies, and she asks this question, and this question's, I think, a good one. And because a lot of people say, was, could, could Jesus have just been a good guy? Could he have been a prophet? Or is he really the Messiah? And she said this, could, is it possible that Jesus was just a good guy, that he was a prophet? Could he have known the scriptures really well and just fulfilled all the scriptures and died for our sin? And I said, yeah, that's a good, yeah, he would have, there's, you know, only a, certain, a handful of people who would have qualified. They have to be from the line of David. There's some other criteria there. But don't forget about what Jesus did while he was on earth. Do you remember how he displayed the power of God in all the miracles? Feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, casting out demons, uh, stilling the storm, telling them where to cast their, fi- their nets to catch the fish, giving sight to the blind, giving... Um, Speech to the mute. I mean, I could go on and on. There's actually a verse that George told me about last night in John, the end of John 25, 21, or something like that. 21, 25. 21, 25. And it says this. There's many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And yet, all of these miraculous things that God did through Jesus, all of the supernatural power that was on display, Paul says, means nothing if the resurrection did not happen. He hangs everything about our faith on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, this wasn't even the Corinthians' problem. That's the, this is like the really tricky thing, so I want you to hang with me here. The Corinthians had all the eyewitnesses, remember? They were there. They were asking people. They saw how everybody abandoned Jesus at his death, And then he came back from the dead, the resurrection was real, and this faith just was ignited. The church spread. It sparked this movement. The Corinthians' problem was that they did not believe. They believed Jesus died for, for their sins on the cross and was raised from the dead. They did not believe that they were made alive in Christ, that they would experience the resurrection power. And Paul makes an argument here. We're going to go back to the text in verse 12. This is what he says. Now, okay, you've got to pay close attention with me here. This is confusing, all right? He says this. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ couldn't have been raised. And if Christ wasn't raised, then our preaching is in vain. And then your faith is in vain, and we're found to be false witnesses of God 
because we're saying that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Is anybody tracking with me or is that confusing? What's, you're tracking some, half and half? Some are like, uh, <laughs> like the heads are going like this. Um, no, seriously, feedback. Do we get what he's saying? He's not saying, they believed Christ was raised from the dead. A lot of the Corinthians believed that. But they didn't believe that their bodies could be raised from the, the dead, that they could experience resurrection power. And Paul is saying, if you don't believe the resurrection power is real, then there's no way Christ could have been raised from the dead. And if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain. Because we'll keep going, Liz. I promise to talk about verse 19. Um, Because, and then Paul repeats himself again, verse 16. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are to be pitied. So are you following Paul's logic? Paul is saying that if you do not believe resurrection life is real, then there's no way Christ could have been raised from the dead. And if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then what? Who's with me? then our faith is worthless, right? Then our faith is worthless because we believe that Christ paid the price for sin. So then he said, that's why he says back in uh, verse 17, you are still in your sin. And if we are still in our sin, we have no hope for the future. And if we have no hope for the future, then why are we believing this stuff? But the good news is that Christ was raised from the dead and the resurrection is real and we do have New life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So the rest, Jasmine talked about this even as she was singing and um, when she shared for a minute. So the rest of this chapter, I hope you're not too excited about me getting into exactly what our earthly versus heavenly bodies are going to look like, what it's all going to be like in the future, um, in the coming age. Uh, because Bill's going to talk about that next week, so I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger right there. Um, But what I do want to talk about and what I do want to share with you today is the hope and the power that we have because the resurrection is real. The resurrection being real is the reason the Bible lasted and and the reason that it spread. Like I said, the resurrection is the reason that all of the people who had abandoned Christ when he died came back to follow him. I love Andy Stanley is such a funny uh, teacher. You're nodding. Probably you've heard this before. And he says we overemphasize the Bible and we underemphasize the resurrection. The reason the Bible is so special is because it contains events that really happened. It's the stuff God really did. So he says, he uses this analogy. Um, Do you put stuff in a hotel safe to make it valuable or because it's already valuable? Obviously, can we? You guys are with me, right? You can talk. You can talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Because it's already valuable, right? So this is what he's saying. Don't be confused that that the Bible is this holy book. The Bible is a holy book. Bless you. Yes, but the reason (laughs) that it's so valuable is because the events in this book really happened. 
We don't believe that it's true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's true. Does that make sense, that nuance? That's so important because we are basing everything about our faith on the fact that this is real, that this really happened, that this was a real event. And if it's a real event, that means we have hope because we are free from sin and we are invited into new life with Christ. So, hope and power. What does it mean to live with hope? We start our new life with Christ now. We are a new creation now. We don't wait until we die. We don't have to wait to, to be with Christ and to start experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. We have it now. And I love, um, I was talking to my mom about this. My dad, I don't love that my, this happened to my dad, but I love thinking about it this way. My dad had a heart attack last year, as many of you know, and the Lord totally saved his life and spared him. And, um, you know, he woke up from his surgery in the hospital in who knows where, down the mountain. He had been up in Arrowhead, and they had taken him down in an ambulance. And he woke up, and the surgeon said, you're going to be okay. You've got another chance to go out and live. The, the Lord, a God, whoever you believe in, saved you because you have another chance to go live. You are alive. And we're going to get you checked out of the hospital. After a couple of days, you can go on and live your life. What if my dad said, unbelievable, thank you, Lord, so much for giving me the second chance, and then he stayed laying down in his hospital bed all year? No! Why would he do Why would he? He have another chance to go live, to stand up, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That is what God invites us to do, to start living in the power of the resurrection while we are still here. We are not waiting for eternity. We want to do it now. So get out of the hospital bed. Let's go. Let's start it now. In our high school or kids ministry, we, I don't know if you know this, we teach our kids, we use this language that they are ambassadors of the kingdom. I love saying it that way. You have a role. You have a specific job to share the kingdom of God here and now. And I like to think of it as like, if you were elected president, or let's just say somebody uh, appointed you president right now, like you are the president, you are the next president, some of you would be good presidents of the United States, would you like sit on your power for five years and then start using it? No, if you are the president of the United States, you have so much at your fingertips, you would go home and get a haircut or <laughs> shave your beard or whatever. <laughs> And put on a suit, and you would stand up and go. You have stuff to do. You can only be the president for four or eight years. Well, you never know. But I'm, my point is, if you have a role, if you have an appointing, you don't sit down. You don't stay back in the hospital bed. You are an ambassador to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth right now. So let's go. Let's do it. And I, I <laughs> thank you. I really think that um, the, God gave us uh, a caterpillar and a butterfly, and a caterpillar and a butterfly is transformation, just so we can understand our new identity in Christ sometimes, because it's such a perfect picture, and that is this. You now are not on your own, just, okay, what do I do now? So I have the power of the Holy Spirit, so where do I go? So I'm the president. What do I do with my... I don't know. I don't have any political background. No. You have the power of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit to equip you. you. The Lord has given you 
a brand new set of butterfly wings. And maybe you've believed this stuff and you received it and you say, okay, I want to follow God, but you haven't even flapped the wings yet. You haven't even used them. You're still crawling around on the ground like a little caterpillar. But you have all of this power behind you. Do you know that at this moment, as you stop and take a deep breath and breathe in, you are breathing in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not some weird thing. It's already in you. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in you now. So what does that mean? Again, I asked. I'm so practical. How does my life change? What about any of this looks different because I have the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, um, there's a whole host of things that change. Everything changes, but I'm going to think of two, I'm going to share two quick stories as I close about tangible examples of the power of the Holy Spirit. And one is this. Did any of you get to see the Emmanuel documentary about the shooting in South Carolina? Had, Had any of you heard about it? Do you remember the shooting? Nine people were killed in this shooting um, in a church, and a, an angry, white, racist kid came into this church, sat through an entire Bible study, sat through the whole thing, and, and then at the end, he executed nine people. And it's sick. It's a terrible story, but the reason that this shooting became so famous, I think, is because the way it was talked about in the media was different than any of the other shootings. And um, it was because there was a woman, and she was featured in this documentary that I watched, who had the opportunity to come face-to-face, not face-to-face, through a screen in the courtroom with um, the shooter. His name's Dylan. And she looked at him, and she said, you know... You killed my mother, you killed my family, but I just want you to know that I forgive you. I just want you to know that God loves you and he would offer you another chance. There is hope even for you. This sick kid who, I mean, really, but that is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power. When there is no bone in your body that you have to forgive, when you don't have the grace to offer to someone who does not deserve the grace, maybe, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are out of, ang- of strength or energy and you are just, you don't have anything left to give in your parenting, in your marriage, at work, that is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and shows up for you and gives you new life and new hope and breathes into you what you need to live your daily life. I, um, I don't know if I've shared this with all of you, but I know some of you I have shared this with, but um, George and I um, were pregnant before we had our little August, and um, we lost our baby, our first baby, on uh, a Sunday that I was supposed to preach here at the river. I was scheduled to preach that day, and um, it was the most traumatic, hopeless situation I think I've ever been in in my life, and if you, you know, have been in that situation or you know what it's like to desire a family and you can't, um, it's a pretty low place to be, 
and we were just feeling so discouraged and um, burdened and sad and um, a friend of mine said, I want you to go visit this, this girl that I know. And she um, is just this really special woman. She lives in Long Beach. Would you just go to her house? And I said, okay. I, at this point, you know, I'm, I am feeling so discouraged. I, of course, like if there's somebody that's going to speak life into me, I'll go to visit this girl. So I went to Long Beach and I visited this girl. Her name's Britt. And she said, Brooke, do you believe the resurrection is real? And I said, yes, I believe the resurrection is real. What does this have to do with anything? And she said, do you believe that you have the power of the resurrection in your life now? Do you want to see that power? And do you want to live like that power is real? And do you want to ask the Lord for more of that power? Or are you going to stay laying in the hospital bed? She didn't say stay laying in the hospital bed, but that's what she's getting at. And I said, yes, but what do I do? Yes, I want this power. I know it's real. I believe it. I want to live as though I'm not going to die. I have eternal life with my father that starts now. But what do, I, what do I do? And she said, ask the Lord for what you need. Bring it to him. Invite him into your pain. And ask him to, to bring you hope and to speak to you and to give you tangible encouragement. And so I went home and I said, George, we're going to ask the Lord to do some weird stuff. (laughs) And he said, okay, I'm with you. And we got on our knees that night and we said, Lord, would you show us real tangible encouragement? Would you speak to us through people and through dreams and through visions? I want to see your power in a tangible way. I want to feel your hope in a tangible, tangible way because I believe this stuff is real and I want to see it. I know you're big. I know what you can do. Encourage us. Give us hope. Give us strength. Meet us. Amen. We went to bed. The next day, George walks into his office and he's meeting, he's in finance. He's meeting with a prospective client and uh, this couple walks through the door and the man shakes George's hand and says, hi, you know, and George says, hi, I'm George. And the woman comes up and she reaches out her hand and she says, and George says, hi, I'm George. And she doesn't put out her hand and she stops and she looks at him and she kind of takes a deep breath and she says, this is so weird. I have never done this before in my life, but Like, as clear as the sky is blue, the Lord just told me to tell you that you're going to have kids. What? What? That is wild. That is the kind of power that I'm talking about. And what do you think that did for George and for my faith? We were like, oh, Lord, you're just getting started. If you're going to tell me kids, tell me what their names are. Like, I want to know what they're going to look like. And I want to ask for more of that. I want to see that. I want to see it. I want to feel the power. I want to experience the miracles and the healing. And, not, and I didn't have the kid. I, didn't, I wasn't pregnant at that time. I didn't know if we were ever going to be able to have kids. But I saw and experienced the power and the hope in the resurrection life, in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in and through us. And that is what I want to challenge us to today. Are you asking the Lord 
for that kind of power? Do you realize that you have the butterfly wings that you need to start flapping because your life is meant to look different than everybody else's life because you have the power of the Holy Spirit? And if it doesn't, wake up and get out of that hospital bed. Shake up that chocolate milk. My mom gave me this. She's like, oh, don't you know the old Campus Crusade analogy of the chocolate milk and the Holy Spirit is the Hershey syrup and if you don't stir it, then it stays white. And I'm like, I love that. Stir it up, shake it up. It's meant to be sweet and look different and taste different. And that's what I want to, I hope that as I leave you this morning, my prayer has been that you would be excited to ask the Lord for more because you believe the resurrection is real. And if the resurrection is real, then you can experience resurrection power in your real life now. Do you have those stories? I want to hear them. As I was looking around at the beach service, I saw people and I said, I could answer that question, yes, I know his story. I know her story. That happened for them. We are experiencing the power now here as a church. So I'm going to pray for that and close us this morning. Father, um, if there are people who are here who are just hearing this whole gospel thing for the first time and they... uh, decided that maybe this resurrection is real and they want to experience the power of the resurrection, would you meet them this morning? Would they come to you and say, Lord, show me yourself. Show me who you are. I want to live fully alive, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth here now. I don't want to wait. I want to have hope in the imperishable body that I now have because you have given me resurrection life. Meet those people, Lord. If there are others that are saying, okay, I've believed this stuff. I've even believed this stuff my whole life, but my life doesn't look any different. It hasn't changed. I haven't experienced that power. I don't even know what that would look like in my life. Lord, give them the strength to flap those butterfly wings, would they realize that they can fly? Would you lead them in asking for more, in expecting more, in seeing you in new ways, in seeing your power in new ways, and their role as an ambassador here on earth to bring your kingdom, Father? As a church, strengthen us, give us greater faith, I do not live this Christian life and believe this weird stuff about a guy raising from the dead just to look like everyone else. I want to see the power and I want to touch it and I want to taste it and I want to feel it and I know everybody else does too, Father. Let's bank everything on this because if we don't, it's not worth it. Give us greater faith, Lord as we breathe in right now and every day, fill our lungs with the power of your spirit and would we recognize the power that we have in you. We love you, Lord. We live for you. All or nothing, there is no in-between. We pray all this in your name.